Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Ngo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. A real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited about the topic today. And uh, we have a tradition on the podcast. You know, we always want to get our guests to introduce themselves because, you know, the best way for the audience to get to know you is obviously through your own words. So could you please share with us um, and the audience a little bit about yourself as a professional and as a human? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jocelyn Brewer. I, yes, as you see, am a human. Um, I (laughs) am a parent to an almost five-year-old and a psychologist. So I got to psychology through teaching actually. So I became, I did a dip ed um, at University of New South Wales 20 years ago, which makes me feel really old. Uh, And I was a teacher for about five or six years before I retrained to be a school counsellor, which is a psychologist and a teacher. And I worked as a counsellor for about oh, 12 years all up. Um, and during that time, I really got fascinated with um, digital well-being and what I call digital nutrition, which is a big part of um, digital citizenship and cyber psychology. So really kind of have honed my interest in that space in the last 12 years or so. Wow, that sounds like an, a very exciting journey. And I think the very concept of digital nu- nutrition is something that we don't hear very often. And we'll definitely ask you to talk about that a bit more later a bit uh, down in the podcast. But um, to start with, we always uh, love to talk about the topic. So, you know, because of the background of your work, as you mentioned, um, you're really interested in digital well-being. And today we want to talk to you about fostering digital well-being in a tech-saturated world. And that is, you know, so prevalent nowadays, especially with us all working from home, collaborating virtually and, you know, having global teams. Um, And especially, you know, in the pandemic, a lot of families are still separated. They still need to, you know, catch up virtually and have this sort of digital presence uh, pretty much every day and switched on every day as well. Uh, it is a topic that's more important than ever before. And we would love to hear your definition on this topic. You know, what does it mean to foster our digital well-being in this tech-saturated world? Yeah, um, digital well-being, I guess, is a really broad area. And so when I think about digital citizenship, which is about basically how to participate and be an awesome human in a digital world and a digitized world, digital well-being is sort of one chunk of that, which is really about our health and well-being and all of the things that make up that. So our relationships, our engagement, our reaching potential and setting goals, our 
physical, mental, spiritual health, all of those things. Um, but really examining that in terms of how our digital lives and the way that we interact with technology can both help and hinder that. So um, if we think digital citizenship and then digital wellbeing, we've also got then cyber safety and online safety issues. And we often think about those in relation to young people, especially, but increasingly that's about you know, trolling and cyber abuse to adults as well. So you kind of have those two kind of areas um, and they're all really interconnected. So even within digital wellbeing, it can be things like managing your time online or managing relationships, being um, uh, kind of more literate in terms of the information you're consuming, the media that you're um, consuming and having that kind of literacy around being able to spot things like fake news, especially, I guess, post-pandemic and even post-Trump. Um, really being able to appraise information and make good decisions about whether or not that's something that you want to consume or believe. Yeah. it's a, it's a huge topic. I think most parts of our lives, whether it's dating, whether it's learning, you know, it all kind of maps back into um, how we use digital and how that sometimes augments um, and makes that really easy. Um, I met my partner on a dating app. Um uh, but there's also obviously risks and vulnerabilities when um, this is so new to us and, and new to our brains. Yeah, that's very interesting, especially because we're talking about this in the context of our well-being. There's so much to it. And as you said, there's multiple aspects uh, when it comes to digital well-being. And we'll definitely unpack it in a little bit. And before we do that, we always start by uh, a little icebreaker we call rapid fire. So we can get to know Jocelyn a little better. The audience will get some recommendations from you. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just some things that you know come to your mind immediately when you hear these words. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, no stress, just just for fun. And, you know, the first thing we would love to hear from you is um, a favorite book that you like. All of these books are my favorite books. <laughs> it's really hard to pick a favorite book. Um, the book that I'm probably reading most closely at the moment is Johan Harry's Stolen Focus, um, mm. which is really about the 12 different ways that our attention spans are shrinking um, and I've also recently really loved Oliver Berkman's 4,000 Weeks, which is all about productivity for me too. Mortals. Yeah. Yeah. I love 4,000 Weeks. Such a great read and you know, great reminder. What about a favorite movie of yours? Picnic at Hanging Rock. Ooh, I'll watch that yeah. yet. So I'm going to put that on the list. Peter Weir film. Yeah. Um, about uh, a set of schoolgirls that go missing at, um, Hanging Rock, which is in the Massenden Ranges of Victoria. Oh. It's based on a novel by uh, Joan Lindsay from 1968. Wow. Very interesting. Definitely. We'll have to check it out. What about a favorite podcast of yours? Oh, that's really hard. Look, I the probably the podcast I listen to most regularly is Mark Fennell's Download This Show on ABC Radio National. Mm. Yep. Great recommendations. How about a documentary? Ooh. Oh, gosh. I, I really didn't prepare for these. You sent those through, but I was like, I'm not looking at that because I don't want to overthink it. Documentary. <laughs> Look, I used to be a geography teacher and I used to show a documentary called Who Stole the Electric Car, which I think is really relevant at the moment. And it's basically about how all the petrol, like all the, all the car companies who produce petrol vehicles brought up the IP and brought up the the system that allowed would have allowed electric vehicles into our lives a lot 
sooner. So who stole the electric vehicle? And it must be 13 or 14 years old. So it's a retro documentary. Okay. Interesting. And who is your famous role model? I don't know. I don't really do role models. I'd have to, I'm going to pass on that. Like there's lots of people who are really inspiring, um, but I don't really have the one person that I like absolutely fangirl over. Like um, maybe maybe Jane McGonigal and her twin sister Kelly. Um, so Jane is a futurist and a game designer and Kelly is a psychologist and um, a yoga teacher and does lots of fantastic things. So they're really inspirational for my work. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Great to know. How about an app that you use a lot? Oh, I use lots of apps regularly. I think the app that I couldn't live without would probably be Instagram. Oh, (laughs) we'll probably touch on that a little bit later when we talk about digital well-being, I'm sure. And what about a news website that you frequent? Sydney Morning Herald is my homepage. So between that and The Guardian, that's where I get most of my news. Mm, Great. And who is your favorite artist? You mean art artist or... I think the definition of artist is kind of versatile. So anyone Um, that you would personally define as an artist. I really love uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. So I really got into his work and and even the film about his life. Um, But I follow a lot of artists on Instagram, but they're like not massive artists. So they're just kind of, you know, local people. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah, that that's great to know as well. You know, sometimes we just follow um, the art that is close to our heart. It doesn't have to be a big artist. And yeah, I think we all do that too. You know, you sometimes just stumble upon little things and you're like, oh, this really speaks to my heart and my um, aesthetics perhaps. Yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. What about a course that you have completed? Oh, I've completed lots of courses, you know, like I've done a Bachelor of Arts, a Diploma of Education, some psychology stuff, but I recently, and it's not really a course that I completed, but I just finished my Master's of Applied Psychology, so I'm about to have my Master's thesis um, marked and returned, so that's probably the latest course that I actually will get conferred, but um, I also am enrolled in, um, oh God, what's her name? Tiffany somebody who has an inner child course so I'm really looking forward to doing that she's um a psychologist on Instagram I can't remember her name though Mm. inner child that sounds very interesting yeah inner child really interesting okay yeah very interesting and the final one we have which might be a bit tricky given the circumstance of the pandemic but what is an event that you have recently attended well, one got cancelled last week. That was a real bummer. I have started going back to the theatre and I have dinner with some friends on Friday night that I'm really looking forward to. Oh, amazing. Glad to hear that life's happening again, hey? So yes. that's great. Yes. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I've learned quite a bit about yourself. I'm sure the audience has as well. And, you know, that's what we're here for, to learn from you and to get to know Jocelyn. And um as we talk about the topic of digital well-being, we uh, would love to first talk about a practice um, in the context of digital well-being before we jump into, you know, the detailed discussion and insights uh, about your work. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is a practice that you do to improve or, you know, foster your digital well-being in in this tech-saturated world? Um 
So in terms of my digital well-being, what I really um, keep on top of is my emails because emails, I think, um, it's really tricky because we want to be responsive and for many small business owners, you, you need to reply to emails to get the work. Um, I have really great systems with my email, so I'm very, very particular about what newsletters I get and if I'm signing up to newsletters, I sign up in an account that I don't actually look at very often. So only the really most important things come into my two main email addresses um, and the rest I can be really careful and schedule when I when I look at things. So email is probably the best like where I'm my best at in terms of some of those practices. But I I do do things like haven't had Twitter or Facebook on my phone for years and years. I don't log into Insta, um, into LinkedIn on my phone. Sometimes I have a look at Pinterest or TikTok, but probably my my worst habit is around Instagram, actually. That's, that's one I pr- should probably take off my phone. <laughs> yeah. That's really good to hear. I feel like uh, what you're saying about not having certain apps on your phone is really helpful. I found that um, for me personally, sometimes I delete apps when I'm like, oh, I do need it sometime. So I just turn off all notifications as well. So depending on um, what is best for each person, you know, we could either get rid of certain apps that it kind of feel addicting or just turn off notifications. That's going to be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, by 2022, I really hope that most people have had the turn off the notifications and wrangle your notifications conversation. That's like step 2019, hopefully, <laughs> like, you know, it's way back there. But I think increasingly, you know, the, the operating systems on your phone or your laptop does give you options in terms of how you actually um, take, can take control of that. But there's a long way to go with a lot of those features, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there, there are two practices that you mentioned. One is keeping on top of your email and the other one is, you know, not having certain apps on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they are interrelated anyway, because it's about, uh, I would probably say like decluttering your um, online presence um, in, in a way. So what would be three good things about this particular practice of, you know, staying on top of uh, your email and not having certain apps on your phone? Well, it frees up some mental bandwidth, right? So what's happening is we have this mental fog and that's, I think, because we're trying to consume too much information, more information than we sort of have in generations before us. And because we're trying to keep up and a lot of this, I guess, is is from and, and, and is um, kind of, you know, highlighted in Oliver Berkman's book is that we're, we trying to keep up with too much. So when we actually narrow down the information that we have to process and what gets our attention, we can do deeper work. We can have more meaning, more quality and all of those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a, a, about being kind to your mind in the end. Mm-hmm. Like you've, you've really got to kind of think about what deserves your attention and hacking back some control from that while, you know, there's personal responsibility while we also put pressure on big tech companies to design better and more ethical products. Yeah, absolutely. I think I find myself struggling with this a lot as well, especially because, you know, like you said, you have two different email addresses and then newsletters only come in one. Um, I have one email address that I mainly use and I feel like it's just cleaning up um, the inbox every day. But sometimes it feels a bit 
uh, too much as well. So keeping on top of my inbox is, you know, like, right, I, I love doing that. But at the same time, it can feel overwhelming sometimes. Um, and I feel like there would probably be ways to do it better instead of checking it every hour or, you know, every, every time, um, you know, like I, I feel like I need to declutter the inbox. Um, yeah, so there's so, lots of great functions like subscribe yeah. or delete, you know. Yeah. There are things that we really need to exercise and they're the user controls that exist. So learning to exercise those, learning to log out, like actually log out of your inbox and then having to log back in can actually give you that sort of space where if you were to go and log in and you, if you have two-factor authentication set up, then yep. it's really quite a pain to have to log back in. And so yep. you're putting a little bit of friction between you and your inbox so that you're not just snacking on your inbox throughout the day. You're going off and saying, actually, I'm going to go and write that blog or that new web page or the sales page or whatever you need to get done. Mm, yeah, that's a great tip. Um, but yeah, I, I was um, kind of going into the direction of the different challenges when it comes to decluttering our inbox and things. And I feel like because we always feel the need to be on, you know, like we got to be online, got to check things. Um, perhaps there are some other challenges as well. Are there any challenges when you start to declutter your online presence that you encountered initially? No, not at all. Great. The challenge. So What's great. the challenge? The challenge is like, do I really want this junk mail? Am I really going to like buy every sort of, and especially the people who send up four emails a week telling you, you know, it's almost like their Twitter feed sometimes yeah. with, the, with the emails that they have and whatever book they've read that says you have to send out this many emails in order to get sales conversions and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Um, a lot of those get unsubscribed really quickly, but I don't, I haven't had any challenges with wrangling my inbox and hitting delete on subscriptions. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's more like if, if someone in the audience is having trouble with all the emails you're getting, then, um, uh, that, that is the challenge, but then the solution would be to then unsscribe just like Justin said. So, you know, that's, that's a great tip, you know, yeah. to unsubscribe got the sense of inbox zero, right? So if yeah. it's inbox zero, or inbox 250,000, um, you can have it just inbox manageable. And and sometimes you read the newsletter and other times you hit delete, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is that fear of missing out of information. Um, but, again, we have to kind of offset that with do we need to be always on? Who, who said that we need to needed to be always on? Did our boss say that or is that an expectation we're placing on ourselves? So we can shift that. Mm. Yeah, so I think one of the main thing is probably time management when it comes to this. Um, do you set up certain time where you actually log on to your inbox? What would be your tips then in terms of managing your digital presence online like this? So there's what I do and then there's what I suggest, right? And I, <laughs> I'm not necessarily trying to be the person who does everything perfectly because I'm quite flexible with what I'm working on and when I work. Um, so, you know, again, I work across multiple projects and have different people in my team whom I'm, I'm communicating with, whereas for some people, it might be that they're just working the, the kind of one career job and they have, you know, really their work email and then their personal life. So that's going to be quite different compared to, you know, what an entrepreneur or a solopreneur might be, might be doing. So, I think increasingly in the workplace, we need to have really clear conversations with uh, our teams and our managers and, and the big organisation about how um, communication works. Because if you've read um, Cal Newport's third book called A Life or a World Without Email, 
Um, that's all about how email is really not fit for purpose. And often people go into, you know, collaborative tools like Slack or Trello, where there's lots of notifications there anyway. And there's the expectation of kind of being even more always on than say an email where you might have a really strong signature that says, I only check my emails at 9am, 12pm and 4pm or whatever that might be if you're batching your emails. So communicating clearly and managing expectations and setting those kind of rules around digital and digital communication within those teams, I think is really important. And that's increasingly the kind of consulting work that I do is to say, hey, what do you want your communication policy to look like in a digital world? Mm, That's a great tip. Yeah. And I think setting boundaries as individuals as well is really important because sometimes a workplace doesn't bring up that conversation, but it's up to you to do that. So, you know, sometimes they're implied conversations or they're implied expectations. So it might not be a conversation that says, I don't expect you to check your email after 5 p.m. But if your boss is sending emails at 9 or 10 p.m. with actions, that sort of sets up a role model that says, well, if my boss is doing that, should I be doing that? Should I be responsive? So they need to be explicit conversations. And we need to be really clear about what's important and what's not important. Um, you know, we do have control as to when we check our email and when we reply. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Great. And finally, on this practice, we would love to hear from you. What would the impact be on our well-being if we adopt this practice? And yeah, obviously, like you said, it's not like you're doing everything that you're saying, but it seems like we're going in the right direction here. So what would be the impact on our well-being? So I, I think it's about prioritizing which information you get. And being able to respond to important inquiries and not get bogged down with, you know, little bits and pieces and reading newsletters and and all of that sort of stuff. So um, the impact is basically to free up some mental space so that you can go and do deep work and, you know, kick some goals. Yeah, absolutely. I really love that. Cool. So now we've had uh, the practice covered. You know, we know what to do to make our digital presence a bit uh, better and you're decluttering uh, all the stuff that we need to look at on a daily basis. We would love to now then talk about the topic of the day in uh, in depth with you because uh, like you said earlier, digital nu- nutrition is something that you've been working on for a while now and it's kind of like your, your life work, I might say. Um, so in the context of well-being, we always start with uh, the big picture and then we go into the topic and the big picture here is well-being. So what does well-being mean to you? doesn't really matter what it means to me. I think it's probably more important that we talk about what the research says about well-being because, you know, what it means to me might not necessarily jive with some of your audience. But um, well-being is generally about our functioning across various aspects of our life. So our physical health, our mental health, our our kind of um, relationships, our ability to engage meaningfully and purposefully in um, our career and our goals and all of those sorts of things. So I use the PERMA plus model of, of well-being, which comes from the work of Martin Seligman. And it doesn't, um, it's, I guess the plus model adds in the health aspects because we know things like sleep and nutrition are incredibly important as foundations for um, for well-being and for us functioning um, well in this kind of really hectic digital post-pandemic world. So, um, you know, for me, well-being is having time to have this conversation and having time to go to the gym and, you know, or being able to fit all the things into my life and design my life so that there's parts um, that are all kind of moving together rather than banging up against one another. Yeah. 
Great. And I think you you were kind of going into the direction of, of the of the research, of the insights uh, on well-being. So you probably know a lot about the different misconceptions when it comes to well-being. Mm-hmm. Any any of those come to your mind in terms of, you know, the biggest misconceptions that you see in people? Um I think a misconception in terms of well-being is maybe related to self-care. So with self-care, a lot of people think that self-care is like going to get a mani-pedi or going to get a massage, that self-care is an individual thing. Um, And it can be an individual thing, but it often isn't about comfort. It's about discomfort. So self-care might be setting boundaries with family members who um, really trigger stuff for you, or self-care might be going to therapy. Um, I think the problem with self-care and some of this wellness stuff is actually that it places the onus on women, especially to take control of their wellness and of their self-care rather than structural issues that we really need to fix, like access to childcare. There's like a million women in Australia who couldn't access childcare this year. So some of those things I think we really need to address as a part of wellness structurally, rather than saying, oh, wellness is, you know, drinking a green smoothie and doing yoga. Um, it can be all of those things, but we need to put the focus back on the systemic stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it because sometimes we we think, like you said, we think about the daily thing like, oh, yeah, getting a mani-pedi and then we just forget about the bigger picture. Um, and we all need a little bit of a reminder sometimes, especially because uh, – I, I think in the context of the topic we're talking about, digital well-being, sometimes, you know, in in, a, in an effort to try and switch up from whatever's been going on, we just completely forget about uh, the bigger sense and purpose of well-being. You know, it's not just us. It's, it's about the community and um, you're, you're well in the context of other people being well as well. It's not just um, an individual thing. And I think that's a really good reminder. So... In the context of today, when we talk about, you know, fostering digital well-being, um, how could you describe that sense of digital well-being? Well, digital well-being is being well in a digital world. So I think of it as the lens of digital kind of coming over the top of, of general well-being. So think of that PERMA model with the lens of living in a digitized world and a digitally yeah. colonized world. So, um, you know, digital well-being, as I was saying before, is really a, a subsection of digital citizenship and it's something that there's a lot of focus on how our, our physical and mental well-being is being impacted by our use of technology and our relationship to technology. So the fact that this, you know, has kind of crept into our lives and suddenly shows up from the moment we wake up and pretty much is around from the moment till the moment we go to sleep, some of the questions that we maybe are starting to ask much more thoroughly now are questions that maybe we would have benefited from having much more of a spotlight on eight or 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, I know that you mentioned the, this point a bit earlier, so it's good to be reminded again and good for the reiteration so that it, it kind of sticks in our mind now that we're thinking about fostering digital well-being habits. And I think in your work, the most interesting thing that we came across when we do the research about your work is digital nutrition. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've heard this term until I saw it on yeah, in, on your work. And I, I find that it's probably a new concept to a lot of people. So could you elaborate on that a little more? Absolutely. So look, digital nutrition probably takes digital well-being even, you know, further down the funnel. And what I'm talking about there is looking at ways that we can um, nourish ourselves and have a great relationship with technology so that we're taking the best bits and we're conscious and, and attempting to avoid some of the, the less, you know, healthful aspects of that. So what I mean there is 
um, just having a healthy and balanced and sustainable relationship with technology. So um, thinking, I'm not into the idea of digital detoxes. I think the language of digital detox sort of is is a bit of a furphy. It doesn't kind of make sense to me Um, in the same way that um, a, a juice cleanse or a juice detox doesn't really make sense from a health perspective. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it's just a kind of positive tech use philosophy that is, you know, trademarked. It's something that I, I was really passionate about and obviously remain really passionate about shifting this conversation away from tech being toxic and tech being the problem and us being able to have more efficacy with some of the hacks and choices and habits that we build. Mm, that's so interesting because we we wanted to ask you about digital de- detox and you already kind of sort of covered that. Um, and I think I totally agree from a perspective of someone who's also, you know, working collaboratively online, staying in touch with most of my friends and family online. Um, I feel like digital detox sometimes just doesn't really help because obviously I, I am I need to be on, you know, I need to be switched on uh, when I need to be there for the people that I'm collaborating with. So it's more around the conscious choices about what I do outside of, uh, you know, spending time at work, spending time with my family and friends online. Um, And I I think the concept of digital nutrition comes in really handy in this context because that teaches us to remember something very different from what you hear every day. Like, oh yeah, just, you know, delete this, delete that, switch it all off, you know. Yeah. 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 it's, It's something new. It's designed, I guess, to de-guilt your tech use because there's so much guilt around pretty much everything, especially as women. Like we're guilty if we give our kids too much screen time. We're guilty if we do too much self-care. We're guilty if we have me time. We're guilty if, you know. So um, this is about taking the guilt and the shame and the shoulds away and say we live in a digital world. Technology is not going away. You can either um, learn to swim in that digital slipstream or you can stand back and try not to participate. But I think the time for that is really slipped by. Um, it's a luxury to be able to, you know, pull the plug and, you know, go on a digital detox. Lots of the celebrities who say they're doing that, that's fine. They have like assistants who still tweet for them or who manage all their DMs and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm talking about mere mortals, normal humans who don't aspire to like, you know, influencer status or celebrity status who want to use technology for the best kind of things, or especially through the pandemic, right? Like, thank goodness we had technology to be able to talk to our friends, to be able to get our kids learning, to be able to give our kids something to do. Um, And so in that context, that's kind of where digital nutrition sits, right? To, To look at those really helpful, healthful things and then start noticing, well, when, when does my leisure time turn into being detrimental? When when does kind of having some downtime turn into wasting time? And asking some of those questions, again, from a reflective perspective, not from a finger pointing, you should be doing it differently or better. I think wrapped up in a lot of this is productivity and doing more and being more, you know, having more output, writing more blogs, writing more content, generating more income, all those things, rather than going slower and being more contemplative. Mm, yeah, I think it's definitely a new way to look at the whole picture of, oh, we need to switch off, we need to do digital detox, um, you know, we, we need to be on top of everything. And uh, I feel like it's it's more around uh, acknowledging that, like you said, technology is not going anywhere. 
we are living in this digital world. It's just more around a conscious choice of what you're going to do for your well-being. So, you know, like I'm not going to be able to just uh, leave my laptop at home and go for a walk all day because I need to be there checking my emails, doing my thing. Uh, but then from your perspective, what are some ways we can then frame really healthy habits around, uh, you know, our digital presence? Yeah. So the first thing that I would start with most clients with is around sleep because the issues that we're facing really are, are things like distraction dependence, displacement. So the displacement is sleep and exercise because we're spending more time online and the digital deluge. So, so much information just coming into our brains. They're the sort of big areas that I talk about. And so we'd frame uh, a lot of the habits around those. And, And I start with sleep and making sure that we're getting enough sleep because sleep, when, when we're sleeping, our brains go into different um, wave patterns and that's helping cleanse our brain. And not that it's detoxing our brain, but cleanse and wash out some of the chemicals which are byproducts of thinking. So because we're consuming so much more information and we're trying to work out what to um, remember, what to send from working memory to short-term to long-term memory, during that process of sleep, that's where that actually, all the information gets sort, sorted out. Some goes to the trash, you'll never remember it again. Um, So if we're sleeping less but consuming more information, there's a problem. There's a processing problem with our brain. Um, And so getting our sleep back on track, and that's not just getting enough sleep, but it's also being able to get into our circadian rhythms. So our sleep and wake cycle are kind of within our normal range where possible. And then also making sure that the onset of sleep happens within about 30 minutes. So if you go to bed and you turn off the lights, and your eyes don't close and you're out and asleep within 30 minutes, we'd sort of say that you have a sleep onset delay. And that's usually where people say, I have insomnia or I can't get to sleep. And that's what we want to deal with because usually your brain's still powering down from all the information and the to-do list and things that you've got in your head. So I always start with that. Then I look at movement because, again, when you're exercising, there's a whole flood of chemicals that are feel good and that will, again, kind of clear out those mental cobwebs to help you sort of be in the best cognitive space possible to approach your day. Mm, yeah, I think um, we all sometimes uh, talk about the thing around, you know, like you need to turn off all your screens, you know, like at least two hours before bedtime. And you know, you're talking about the importance of sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, at the moment, I know that one of the main issues around um, people and even teams that I've been working with is, you know, because of time difference, sometimes it's really hard for you to switch off uh, your two hours before your bedtime. And, and like you were saying, it's it's probably like some other things you can do before you power down your brain before sleep. Yeah. So what would you recommend in those situations where it's a bit trickier to manage well, the screen I, I, time? I, yeah, I have not seen any evidence that says two hours is what you need to do. Um, yeah. In fact, I haven't seen any evidence that tells you exactly when you need to turn off your phone before bed. It used to be a lot to do with blue light. But yeah. now that we have night shift mode and, you know, in, in most glasses there's blue blo- blue light blocking lenses, um, I don't think that's as much of an issue as the content and the sensory input that we're getting. So if I pick up my phone just before I'm about to go to bed and I get an email from a client saying, you know, something terrible's happened, that's not a lullaby. That's not going to help my brain go to sleep. I'm going to automatically go into like so- solution focus mode. 
Um, so we have to be careful of the content we're consuming. Similarly, people who are watching really hectic TV shows just before bed, that doesn't make for, you know, kind of sweet lullabies necessarily. There's there's usually, you know, impacts on dreams and things like that there. So um, I, th- I think it's about then a whole a whole range of sensory things that you can do. So you can read a book, you can have some, you know, night mist sprays and things like that. You can drink a, a relaxing nighttime tea. Um, they're all the sensory things that then help our brain signal, okay, it's time to go to bed. Just like with little babies, there's sleep cues and sleep signals that tell them, okay, this is what we're doing, get ready to go to sleep. We can set that set that up for ourselves. Obviously, if you're working in different time zones and occasionally have to get up for different things, that's just a little bit of a blip in that. But, you know, working with our circadian rhythms um, is really powerful. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think uh, – when when you when you talk about like there's no evidence around like having to switch out your phone two hours before bed, I, I think I totally agree because well there are days that I just need to look at my phone before I go to bed, uh, maybe because I need to do a meditation. You know, it's on it's on an app on my phone, exactly. and then I'm I'm knocked out completely after that. So I think it's actually around what you use your screens for, perhaps, and that is one of the main things that that we want to discuss with you because you know, like you were saying, technology is not going anywhere digital nutrition is there. You just have to really leverage what works for you. Absolutely. So, so yeah. When, so when people talk about, you know, not having phones in bedrooms, I'm like, but what if I'm actually listening to a meditation or I'm participating in a really, yeah. um, you know, evidence-based uh, mental health app that yeah. you know, just before bed. So the context is everything. And I think we have to get beyond the idea of screen time like, oh, I only had two hours on my phone today. If that two hours was stalking your ex-boyfriend, that's pro- that's not good use of two hours. I would prefer to you be on your phone for six hours but doing things that are much more aligned to your values and goals, you know. Yeah. So I think we need to get better at appraising not just then what we're doing on our phone but also what we're thinking and how we're feeling. So if you're scrolling Instagram and you've curated your feed so it's actually really inspirational, it's your news source, it's your friends, it's your community, um, then I th- I think that's healthy, you know. But if you're scrolling Instagram and you haven't curated your feed or you fed the algorithm information that says make me feel crap about myself, then obviously that's not going to nourish you. You're going to come away feeling anxious, depressed, wanting to get cosmetic surgery and, and all of those sorts of things. So it's not just time online. It's the context, the content and the cognitions that are really important that we start looking at. Um, you know, and I'm I'm yet to see people who want to dig that far down into that. Partly because to re- do that research, it's it's really difficult. You can't dose people with technology and then you know map what they're thinking because we're all so different, and and our our Instagram feeds are all really different too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Instagram listens. You know, whatever you want, they'll feed you some more. So I think you you talk about something that's really interesting, where it's around spending actually spending time curating, for example, what's good for you to see on your personal Instagram feed. Now, mm-hmm. I would love to go into this a bit further and take it a bit broader. How can we actually use you know uh, our digital presence to enhance our well-being you know what can we do you know using the technology at hand and all the things that we have online to actually enhance our well-being and you know make it better 
Yeah, look, one of the things that I have recommended for a long time, and very luckily we have some new research from a really great organization called the Female Lead. They've done their second iteration of their Disrupt Your Feed um, campaign, which yep. basically has now has evidence that shows when you curate your feed, when you follow people that are role models, when you follow organizations and kind of industries that you're interested in, um, it has positive impacts on your well-being. So literally shaping the virtual vitamins and moving towards the things that nourish you and are generative rather than kind of detracting from your from your well-being has that positive influence. Now, time online is still an aspect because if you're not getting enough sleep, that's going to have a detrimental impact. Um, so what you can do is literally declutter, like when we we're talking about decluttering emails, declutter who you follow. Um, declutter, you know, following, I actually sometimes suggest people follow hashtags, not people, because then you're getting a broad range of people in that particular kind of, um, within that hashtag bucket, I guess. So if you're, I don't know, I'm into mid-century furniture at the moment, so or urban gardening, you know, um, yeah. that, that then shows me, um, content from a range of different people rather than the same person all the time. So yeah. I actually follow a range of hashtags rather than focusing on, on, following people and then I will also do like um, a bit of a declutter where you can use some different tools and in fact within Instagram it can show you um, accounts that you've interacted least with and if I'm not interacting with an account and I, I'm not really getting much out of their content I will unfollow them um, and by now we're not too offended when people unfollow us you know there's not people sitting around going oh Jocelyn Brew unfollowed me that's terrible you know it's just part of that digital world where you know you follow and you unfollow you go through different phases yeah that is a very interesting point and I, I agree with you yeah we'll probably take it we don't take it as personally as we used to but there's still that aspect of digital connectivity as, as and I, I think that is probably a social issue somehow where you know you are connected to your friends online but you don't really talk or you know you would probably only interact on Instagram or Facebook and you don't really have a conversation so there's definitely pros and cons right because you get to stay connected with people that um, you probably don't get much chance to talk with but at the same time it could feel like you're on and you're connected but you're actually disconnected yeah, and, and I think what happens is there's a thing called Dunbar's number and it, it was 150 is the number of people that you can have meaningful relationships with. That's mm -hmm. kind of been debunked to some degree, but the idea is still there that, you know, traditionally the village that everyone talks about, it takes a village to raise a child and where are our modern villages? The village was probably about 30 people, give or take. But the number of people in our digital village is huge, yet, you know, and lots of people know about our lives, but who's there to hold your hair up when you're vomiting? <laughs> you know, that, that's always my litmus test of where are my people? Like who would actually come over and um, cook for my family or, you know, cook for my kid and look after me if I was sick? Um, who's the person who'd come and meet you if your car broke down? And they're the people that we need to focus on rather than the opinion of strangers on the internet often. So um, I do activities with my clients where we actually look at concentric circles um, and it comes from um, the work of um, Bronhofer, um, all about kind of like the people who are closest to us, so from our community or in fact the entire world, right down to people in our household. And we actually look at who's there and who have we forgotten. For many of us, we kind of need to audit our friends and we need to go through our followers and who we don't want to 
kind of lose and make sure that we're having some closer connections rather than feeling like, oh yeah, I know what's going on in her life because she posted on Instagram all the time. So it's as if I'm having contact with her, but I'm not really. Like yeah. I, we haven't talked in years, but I know everything that's going on with her life because I, I kind of make it a part of my newsfeed. So yeah. I think there's some, you know, reconfiguring that we can do, especially, I mean, I don't know, in Sydney at the moment, it doesn't feel like the pandemic's over. It feels like we're just in the next kind of wave of things. But as we sort of come back through another phase of this, I think, yes, we're reevaluating friendships. And there's lots of um, uh, articles and discussion about, especially as adults, adult friendships and why they can be really quite difficult and confusing. Mm. Yeah. I can definitely agree with that. I've been finding that as well, especially when we talk about digital presence and, you know, connectivity. It's so clear that sometimes like the people that sometimes, I don't know, like it's you're such a big fan of Instagram. Maybe you'll get this. Like you just get like all the reactions from certain people. Yeah. You never really have a conversation with them. And I find that hard to kind of manage and hard to think about because well, we do have interactions, but they're not really meaningful conversations. Do I actually enjoy that for the sake of notification? I actually don't have notifications um, on Instagram turned on anymore, but it's just an interesting sort of observation from my end where I've, I feel like a lot of the people that I'm interacting with um, are the people that I actually don't talk to. I don't really know much about them. And I find that to be so interesting nowadays, you know, especially it affects your well-being as well because you're like, am I actually connected to people? Like, who do I have a you know, meaningful connection with? And then I go back to the people that I actually talk to on a daily basis. And I'm like, that's very different, you know, compared to us being online. It's actually doesn't really matter because you have your offline and, and social chat and you have who you talk to all the time anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's a hierarchy of uh, engagement and interaction. So yeah. There's people who like stuff, which is literally hitting a button, and then there's people who will reach out. There's people who will message. There will people yeah. who will comment and engage you in a more meaningful way. Now, we yeah. couldn't possibly attempt to have deep and meaningful conversations with all of those people. That's what that's what that Dunbar's number is about, right? Yeah. I can't. And and for a lot of people who are big on Instagram, there's a real challenge for for them the tipping point between being accessible maybe when you've got 10 to 20,000 followers to when you're inaccessible where it's really impossible for you to personally answer all of your DMs or or, or things like that where we see them bringing on community managers and, and taking that next step to um, engage communities. So for most of us, again, us mere mortals, it's, it's a really um, a conversation about or a, a personal process that I do. I actually you know, spend quite a bit of time nurturing my networks, whether they're professional, personal, um, in order to make sure I feel connected to the people that really matter. And that when I'm around them, like, it's always so like, why don't we do this more often? Yeah. Um, and it's just a, it's a time thing. Life is, life is busy. Some of my best friends, I probably only see three times a year. Um, mm. But when we see each other, it's for five hours and it's fantastic. So Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a similar hangout like that yesterday when my friend and I just sort of talked about how, yeah, we are so close and we counted like the past few years. We meet probably three times each year, but we remember each time because it's so great. And we don't really spend that much time talking to each other online anyway, but, you know, it, it feels like the connection is there. and. I reflect on what you just said and I realized that, yeah, yesterday my level of well-being was probably boosted quite a bit. You know, really enjoyed the quality time spent there. And um, yeah, 
looking at the photos and capturing the memories, it's it just helps as a as another way to you know have the proof that yeah we met. But it's not everything. Social yeah. connection is really really central to well being, and especially in some research that they've done with young people. If you kind of had to choose between um, eating well or being connected as a young person, actually being well connected and having social like connectivity and and you know that social group is more important to well being than eating well. So that wow, like significant it is, especially for young people where identity formation is happening. And, yeah. and belonging is absolutely so, so central. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think uh, when we talk about, you know, the different aspects of being online and our digital presence, um, there's so much going on in that space. And like you said, the most important thing is still to remember that we need social connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to anchor a lot of the ways and and. Um, probably the approaches we have when it comes to our digital presence. Um, so just to round out the discussion on this very topic, what would be some of your additional tips and advice when it comes to fostering our health, our digital health? Oh, um, I, I guess we've kind of covered some of the main things. Um, so, you know, wrangling notifications so that your attention isn't broken into confetti. That's a really yep. good one. Um, so being really conscious of anything that's kind of coming in your eyeballs and getting your attention, getting into your brain and, and looking for, you know, some of your memory stores. So I think um, consuming quality content, um, not beating yourself up when you have a day where you maybe scroll too much, but actually noticing and tuning into at what point it became too much and what the content was that made you feel uncomfortable so that you can kind of keep shifting and, and curating that. Um uh, the sleep stuff, you know, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I really can't. If that was one thing that people really reevaluated, I would hope that it's the impact on your sleep of all of the things on your to-do list, many of which require you to use technology to do them. Um, uh, look, there's a lot of other kind of hacks and tips that, that some people use. Um, it can be things like... Um, only using red light. So there's some great products that are basically reading clips and, and lamps that are all red light. So again, that's working with your natural um, kind of with the brain and the melatonin secretion that happens in the evening to help you get tired um, so that it's offsetting any blue light that you are kind of um, kind of having around you. And that, you know, if you have LED lights in your house, they have a huge amount of um, blue light. So there's things like that. There's, there's just, um, you know, uh, having really strong boundaries with with your email and having those conversations with your boss and your organization about what those expectations are um, and and rethinking some of the productivity aspects of that. Yeah. Great. What a great way to end the discussion around how can we utilize the tools we have and set our boundaries and also foster our digital health because uh, like you said, technology ain't going anywhere and we just really need to find a way to, you know, use it better, I would say, and really utilize it for your well-being as well. Because like, I personally love meditation apps. I need that, you know, and I think like, it's just a good way to uh, begin your day or end your day. And sometimes people are saying, you know, the first thing you do in your day is not to look at your phone, but I need to look at my phone for that meditation, for example. So I think it's really finding your balance and, and you know, find what works for your well-being. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I think we have to ask better questions. So it's not about all or nothing, good or bad, black or white. It's yeah. about what's the context. So if the context is you need an alarm, the alarm on your phone is actually much better than those horrible analog things that alert <laughs> at you in the morning. And yeah. if you pick up your phone, you turn off your alarm and then you use a guided meditation to help you do a miracle morning or your visualizations or those things that get you going, what's the problem? If you yeah. dive straight into your emails before your you know, feet hit the floor and you're already in work mode, then that's possibly not the best way to start your day, though yeah. horses for courses, right? If you're still yeah. just had nine hours sleep and then you're about to go for a run, like Again, a lot of these things are quite moralistic because they're personal choice um, yeah. uh, and we don't want to be too prescriptive around that. You've, you've really just got to ask the question for you, what works for you and, and what stretches your well-being just far enough that you're not being too kind of comfortable with it. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for all the great tips. And I think we all sort of come away today with a better understanding of what is actually, what actually counts as digital health what is actually digital nutrition it's not the extreme of doing digital detox because well you know we shouldn't really look at it that way and not go to that extreme so lots of great tips there so finally before we let you go we do have some questions from our audience about the topic of today fostering digital well-being in a tech-saturated world we have some great questions actually um we touched. We probably touched on this a little bit, but um, I guess from more perspective, how much screen time is too much, and how can we manage our screen time? Yeah. So hopefully, from what people have been listening to today, um, it's not really a question of how much. It's about the quality, the context, and the cognition. So it depends really how much time you have available. So if you've had nine hours of sleep or whatever number of hours of sleep that you need. You've gotten the kind of, you followed the guidelines on sedentary behavior or, you know, active behavior and you're getting enough movement and you're getting the things that you need to get done in your life, then there's not really a limit then on, on how much screen time is too much screen time. Um, for adults, we actually don't have screen time limits. For young people, there are some, some guidelines there. So ditch the question about how much time is too much and ask instead, how does it feel when you're spending that time online? And are you doing all of the things that you want to be doing in your life? Or are you displacing screen time, uh, displacing those things that you want to be doing with screen time and then kind of getting into a, an unhealthy cycle and habits of habits? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to see the problem, right? Because sometimes I feel like in, in conversations, um, I, I've had conversations with friends where we actually compare screen time. And I was I was horrified when I look at my screen time. But then I realized I actually use my screen for Kindle reading. I have the Kindle app on my phone and my other devices. Um, and I think that's a you know really good way to spend time you know with my screen. And then also, like I said earlier, meditation app, like you said, as yeah. long as it's good for your well-being, it's not, you know, it's not too much. It's more about what exactly are you doing on using those screens. That's so that's a great way to look at it. Uh, the next question we have is how effective do you think a digital diet is and who will mostly benefit from this? Yeah, so it, a digital diet, I think we have to be careful that we're not like setting a diet up like a fad diet, like a keto diet or the, you know, 
drink lemon water fad diet, those kinds of things. Um, when we talk about the Mediterranean diet or broad like ways of eating, um, that's what I would talk about when I'm talking about a digital diet. And again, this is very personal. So for me, I, I really kind of can't go near TikTok because it sets off parts of my brain that do get quite obsessed and quite interested. So I know that, you know, TikTok is kind of like digital candy. It's a sometimes food. Um, so shaping out your digital diet, usually I talk about, you know, control your portions and eat a, you know, consume a variety of news sources that are trusted, you know, um, you know, all the, all the principles that we would think generally about what healthy eating looks like, um, uh, it, it applies to a digital diet. So there's no prescription around that. Um, it's something that you kind of have to shape and curate for yourself. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like as adults, um, we we have the liberty to actually do that. I think earlier you touched on this concept where you said, you know, we can design what we consume, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, like as a um, as a kid or, you know, when you're going to uni, there's certain things that you just have to consume. It's more like this is your own project, your personal thing that you can work on curating all these things that you want to consume and that forms your diet. Um, and what is healthy should be defined by you, not what society tells you to consume, I guess. So in a way, it's 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 nice to have that versatility and you, you have the choice to actually then um, work on your well-being using the tools available to you through technology and the internet. And that's the nice thing about it. You know, it's not all bad when you look at it from that angle. No, it's, it's not all bad, but there is a lot of junk food out there and a lot yeah. of content and you can, um, you know, think about how much of a role that's going to have in your life. You know, if you are what you eat, then you are, I guess, what you consume through your digital diet. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I love that. Um, final question from our audience today is they, they're they asking about um, the, the fact that a lot of people actually debate deactivating their social media accounts because you know uh, it's it's good for for them to detox again we're coming back to the misconception of digital detox but a lot of people are actually doing that and um, they they were saying that they feel like this is just a band-aid solution and I know that you already touched on this earlier where you said yeah you choose who you follow who you unfollow um, but besides Instagram besides Facebook there's also a lot of other social media platforms like LinkedIn uh, recently you know it's been such a boom and then also TikTok like you said so multiple platforms at the same time so I guess when we look at this question it's more around how would you manage all the, the different accounts then because you know it's it yeah. could feel overwhelming and at one point you're like, oh, I just want to deactivate all of my accounts. What would be a better way to go about it? Um, so each of my social feeds is really distinct. So my LinkedIn has a different flavor to my Twitter account. My I have four different Instagram accounts because I have a private account for me. I have public accounts for, for different brands and, and I share very different content on all of those. Um, so it's it's really about shaping out your audience, as I say, like it's 12 years worth of work that I've shaped a, a really powerful and fantastic Twitter community that I have. So it does take a little bit of time. Um, there are tools that you can get, which are kind of like a funnel. All of your communication gets dumped in that one bucket and then you can reply from one, one site. There's probably some, you know, API issues and privacy issues with um, attempting to do that. So there are some tools that will simplify you being more responsive. 
Um, but ultimately, I guess for, for lots of people, depending on your position and what kind of work that you're doing, you kind of just need to get really good at replying and archiving. So basically my inbox is my to-do list. So I, I try and reply to anything. I kind of use the getting things done method, which is, which is kind of sorting and delegating really quickly. Um, so, you know, you either simplify or reroute people through to your, like, you can know, on a Facebook um, business page, you can have an automatic reply that says, please email me. You can, you can use some of those functions within platforms to kind of funnel people in the right direction. But, um, you know, short of, you know, shutting things down that, that may or may not work. Like you might miss out on information. Lots of people talk about FOMO, like it's a bad thing. I I really just see that as a part of belonging. I want to belong. I want to be included. I want to be a part of something. So of course, when I'm left out, that doesn't feel good. So um, yeah, I I guess it's a personal decision once again, as to um, how you even communicate that you're not going to be active on those platforms and how's the best way to, to contact you. If, if you yeah. want to be contacted, we presume we want to be contacted. Sometimes yeah. people just don't want that contact. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing to think about because I think um, a lot of people just assume that you're always on there. So if you choose to actually deactivate an account, it has a lot of implications. And like you said, maybe it's just good to, if you do choose to be off those platforms, leave a note so people know where to find you, redirecting. So I think, yeah, I think it's definitely... The key thing is to find your own balance and find what works for you today, right? Because it's not about what's good, what's bad. It's more around what works for you and what's going to add to your well-being. And um, eventually that's what we need. We need to utilize all the tools we have and all the platforms so that we can enhance our lives rather than, you know, have our lives, little bits and pieces of our lives get taken away because, you know, we're so consumed in different things that are not that helpful. So. That's at least my take on it after, you know, this conversation with you. And really, thank you for joining us. Um, I really had a great time chatting. Just listening to your perspective has really helped because, yeah, um, I think I'm similar to our audience. I'm struggling on multiple levels, you know, working, collaborating online and also staying switched on all the time. So this has been really helpful. And I'll focus on my digital nutrition the next time I turn on my phone or my devices. Very good. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngo. Thanks for tuning in.